But I wore my South African shirt in honor of your coming tonight. You're so sweet. We Thank love you. you already, brother. And you can't have this shirt. He was actually looking at this shirt. He said, what size is that? I said, it's my size. That's right. <laughs> Thank Let's you, Pastor Let's give him Ken. a round of applause as he's here with us tonight. Came all the way from Cincinnati just to be here tonight. Yeah, it's so good to be here tonight. Thank you so much for allowing me to come and share our hearts and what we're going to be doing in South Africa. And um, I'm glad I got here on the way, like I said, just from Cincinnati. And I was leaving earlier this afternoon, and then all of a sudden my car died right on the interstate, right by Kings Island. So fortunately, I was still close enough to home and family was there, and I was able to borrow my dad's car. And so I got in about five minutes ago, so I'm glad to be here. So <laughs> it's good to, to come into the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, we are thrilled uh, just to be sharing with you our hearts and our story of what God has called us to do. And um, so I'm going to show a video here in just a minute just to introduce our family and our uh, ministry and what we're going to be doing. But as you can see, uh, we've got a beautiful family. My wife, Sarah, we have been married for 17 years. And uh, we have two wonderful children, Abby, who is seven years old, and Caleb is five. And uh, we, um, we love our kids. They're really good kids. I really wish they could be here uh, tonight, but unfortunately, they're not able to be. But hopefully, one day, you'll be able to meet them and see how cute and wonderful they are as well in person. But... Um, but yeah, we are getting ready to move to Durban, South Africa to join a brand new initiative within the Assemblies of God called Urban Tribes. Now, how many have ever been to Africa or come from Africa or has anybody been there before? Yes? It's a beautiful place. And when you think of Africa, what do you normally think of? Safari. Love safaris. The big five. Yes, those are animals, by the way, not your fingers. Huh? Tarzan, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. He had a time there, I think, yeah. <laughs> but no, we, we kind of think of the animals, or we think of the bush, or the rural areas, and, and, and that is very much Africa. And if you have never had a chance to go to Africa, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go, because it will absolutely transform your life. And it is some of the most beautiful sceneries and places that you will ever be in your life. And so the rural area and the bush is very much Africa, but Africa is changing quite fast and quickly in the fact that it is now the fastest urbanizing region in the world, which means there are more people moving to and living in the cities, and they're moving in at a faster rate than anywhere else in the world. And so we in the Assemblies of God have seen this trend and have started this brand new initiative called Urban Tribes to plant churches in the major cities in Africa. And so I'll show you this video just to kind of introduce our family, but you can also see what Durban looks like and uh, kind of explain about what's going to be taking place. So Will, if you want to go ahead and start that, that'd be great. We'll get it here in just a minute. Met when we were in you college it over at for me, Miami University in Ohio a couple years after our marriage. Take two. Hi, my name is Greg Owens. This is our son Caleb and our daughter Abby. And I'm Sarah Owens. And we are heading to Durban, South Africa. Well, Sarah and I met when we were in college at Miami University in Ohio. A couple years after our marriage, I felt like God was calling me into the ministry. We were seeking and praying for a way to um, be able to do missions overseas and be able to use the giftings that God had given us. 
I was a business major in college. I received my PhD in neuroscience. I'm a genetics researcher by training. The Lord was wonderful in providing an opportunity for us to live for two years in South Africa. We genuinely love the people and the culture of South Africa and we're very anxious to return to, to home. So a lot of times when you think of Africa, you think of the bush, you think of the rural areas, but the landscape of Africa is changing quite dramatically in the fact that Africa is now the fastest urbanizing region in the world, which means there are more people moving into the cities at a faster rate than anywhere else. And so Urban Tribes has been established to partner with the National Church because we have seen the need to plant churches in these major cities across the continent of Africa. And so we are able to go to Durban, South Africa to start one of the very first churches that's a part of Urban Tribes. And our heart and our passion are to reach out to this emerging group that is taking place in these cities. There is an emerging tribe that is forming among the people groups. You have people coming uh, from the rural areas in South Africa. You have business professionals that are moving overseas. You have people coming in for education. And, and what is resulting is a group of people that are forming uh, that are not necessarily based on an ethno-linguistic group, but they are based on commonalities of why they are living in the city. There are 11 official languages in South Africa. South Africa also has the highest population of people from India outside of India, and Durban is the highest concentration in South Africa. And so the opportunities for us to have this hub of this church that is going to be in South Africa to then share the gospel into other regions of Africa and to other cities in a very strategic way to reach Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Living in South Africa previously for two years was such an incredible experience. The Lord blessed us with very deep friendships and relationships in the community and we're very excited to be able to return with our children and spend a life serving the Lord in South Africa. We just want to thank you for praying with us and partnering with us as we transition and we go to Durban, South Africa. Please connect with us through our website online and our Facebook page. And if you would like to email us, we would love to connect with you in that way as well. But we thank you so much for your partnership and may God continue to bless you. Yeah, so Africa looks a little bit different than a lot of us think it looks like, doesn't it? And so there is a great need for churches to be planted in these cities and also to train pastors and leaders to start churches in the major cities. And so we are a part of the team that's going to start one of two main hubs on the continent in Durban is our base is going to be. And then the other hub is going to be up in Ethiopia. And between our church, two churches, we are going to plant churches in every major city on the continent. And so we are just so excited about what God is doing and how he uh, is being active in reaching what is now the fastest growing mission field in the world. It's the cities in Africa. And uh, people are coming in from all different backgrounds and varieties. And, and it's a great opportunity to, to have a church like heaven. And that's our goal, is to have a church that's unified, that, that is diverse, that has uh, people from all different nationalities that are a part of it so that we can celebrate and, and, and just be a part of the beauty of what God is doing in Africa and to praise his name uh, with, with relevant churches that are there. And so 
we would ask that you pray for us. We're hoping to be there at the beginning of December, so uh, not too much longer now because our church in Durban is starting in January. So, uh, so it's all up to just the rest of our fundraising and everything else that we have to do in order for us to get there. We sold our house a couple of weeks ago, and so we've moved in with my parents. And um, I love my parents dearly, but it's just extra motivation to be able to get to South Africa. <laughs> but they have been so gracious for us. I actually borrowed their car to come up here, so I'm glad we're living with the parents. But, um, but it's, just, it's just an amazing thing how God orchestrates everything of what we do. Have you had that experience in your own life as well? God just orchestrates everything. He, I, I am constantly amazed at his logistical uh, yes, prowess. Thank you. And just how to the, to the minute or to the day that God is faithful and he works things out. And that, and that is our testimony in, in what God has done in our life is that he is faithful. He can be trusted. You can rely on him. He will work things out. Your only job and obligation is one to love him and follow him. And then if you do that, he will make sure that everything else is taken care of. And a lot of times, you know, uh, I've been in ministry for 14 years doing youth pastor associate work and, and things like that. And I always, you know, say in the Bible, you know, 90% of what God wants us to do in our life is already in the Bible. We don't have to ask God about that because it's all there. He's commanded it to us. It's given us our instructions for our life on how to live. But it's that other 10%, you know, like what job are we going to get or who are we going to marry or where are we going to live or what are we going to do with my life? Those type of things. And those are important things. But we focus a whole lot more typically on the 10% that we don't know as compared to the 90% that we already do. And God wants us to focus on the 90% and he'll easily take care of the 10% because I've never seen anyone follow the Lord and him not take care of them. It won't happen. It's impossible. In fact, he has to take care of you if you follow him. It's a promise. He said that he would and his promises are always yes and amen. And so he has to take care of you if you are a child of his and you follow him. There's no other option. And so we have found that so true in our life and, and what God has done. And so I just want to share a little bit of our background and our story of how we got to where we are. And maybe it will relate and be relevant to you. But um, like I said in, in the video, uh, my wife, Sarah, and I, we met at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. So down the road a few, a few hours. And uh, I grew up in Ohio, grew up in the Cincinnati area. And graduated from high school there. And then Sarah, I met her at Miami, but she had a little longer of a way to get back to here. Her family's originally from the Cincinnati area, but her parents were missionaries in Peru uh, for two years. And the second year, they took Sarah when she was about five, six months old and were there for about another year. But then the government there in Peru uh, revoked all the visas and kicked out all the missionaries. And so uh, they had to leave the country at that time. And the gentleman that they were working with in Peru happened to be from Alaska. And her parents had education degrees from Miami. And uh, he was like, well, you're teachers, so why don't you just come up to Alaska and teach? Because they're desperately in need of teachers. And just try it for a year and see what you like. And so they went up and uh, tried it for a year, but ended up staying for about 20 years. And uh, they grew up and lived in this little Eskimo village uh, called Unalakleet. It means people of the east wind. 
right on the Bering Sea, a village of 800 people, no roads going in, so they don't have a school bus, but they had a school plane in order to go to their uh, wrestling matches or basketball games in the other villages because you couldn't drive out of the village. And so they had a little 12-seater plane, but uh, she definitely grew up. They were the only white family in that village. The rest were native Alaskans. And uh, so just had a wonderful life growing up there and just absolutely loved it and just really enjoyed learning all the different culture of the, the African natives and things like that. And so she ended up going to my because that's where her parents had gone. And so we were in a Bible study uh, with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship where we met. And uh, I finally got up the courage uh, to ask her out after getting to know her for a little bit. And, and she said no. And um, I was like, what? Look at me. <laughs> I mean, this looked better 20 years ago. But, um, but she, she finally came around. But I found out she wouldn't date me because she had this unspoken rule like she didn't date freshmen. <laughs> What's up with that? And uh, But anyway, she ended up, uh, we ended up dating uh, the summer after my freshman year because she was a year ahead of me. And, um, and so we ended up getting married right after we graduated from college. And that was in 1999, I think is when we graduated. And then right after that, we moved down to Nashville, Tennessee, where Sarah went to Vanderbilt University and got her doctorate degree in neuroscience and genetics. And uh, so I did, I married good, let me tell you. I, I married a smart one. Um, I had to tell the first couple of years of our marriage, I married way up. And uh, I was just like, I had to say, honey, we got to dumb down this conversation we're having because I don't know what we're talking about. It was hard at the beginning of our marriage. So we're finally slowly getting there after 17 years. But, um, but yeah, so she went to Vanderbilt and then I was on, I was a business major in college and I had dreams of making my millions of dollars and being big CEO one day and having way better hair than Donald Trump. But you know, that kind of a trajectory that I was going on. And, and I, so I started out on my path working in Enterprise Rent-A-Car because <laughs> we'll pick you up. And um, so it was just a great, you know, a great first job for me, but um, Transitioned to there and did some bookings with uh, Christian artists and things like that in, in the Christian music industry there in Nashville. But uh, September 11th attacks took place. And uh, when that happened in 2001, all the churches kind of just went internal. They didn't want to hire anything out, didn't want to do anything because it was just a, a lot of uncertainty. And, and it was completely understandable, but that really affected our industry. And so I ended up getting laid off from my job um, because of that in November of 2001. And so I would take my resumes and I was going ahead and I was just started applying for new jobs and, and um, I would literally hear back from no one, not even a thanks, we got your resume, we'll keep it on file. I mean, it was complete silence with emails, phone calls, nothing. And, and I was starting to get a little upset. I don't know if you've ever had this moment with God, but if not, this is just a personal counseling session on my end. But I was getting mad at God. You know, I was just really frustrated at him. And I was like, God, I should not be having a problem finding this job. I'm an educated person. I've got my degree. I deserve, you know, that kind of a thing to get a job. And, and so I was just talking to God and just really having a hard time with it. And one day I was praying and just really, really seeking the Lord because we were needing money. And... um I, that's when I felt like he was calling me into the ministry. And I thought that I was kind of just had my head down and I literally, this is what I did. I, when I just I had that thought come in my head, I just popped my head up and I was like, was that me? 
Or is that something else? <laughs> I was like, that's got to be something else because I never had that in my plans. You know, and I've loved the Lord. Both Sarah and I, we've been saved from a young age. I was saved at about 10. We have godly families and parents. And, and so we've grown up serving the Lord, but I, I just didn't have it in my, my life plan to, to be a minister. But after talking with our pastor of the church that we were at and, and just praying and talking with other people, we felt like it was a genuine call of the Lord. And so I ended up getting credentialed with the Assemblies of God and uh, was eventually ordained in 2008. Um, but right after that, we went on staff at a small little church there in just north of Nashville in this little rural community, about 150 people in the church at the most. Uh, but it was, it was an amazing place for us to, to be a part of and to grow. And we were there for six years on staff. But during those six years, I ended up going on eight short-term mission trips with our church. It was awesome. It was a great missions-minded church. And, and the second trip that we went on was to Kenya, Africa in 2005. And it was there that Sarah and I knew that God was, again, changing our trajectory and calling us into full-time missions work. And we didn't have that in our life plan either. We were just, just getting used to being in the pastoral ministry uh, and getting adjusted to that. Now we had to get ready to start moving overseas. And, and so it was a switch for us. And, and so we were just kind of praying, all right, God, so how do you want this, this to work? And so a few years later, after we, we went on that trip and after going on other 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 mission trips as well during that time, we've, um, unbeknownst to us, the floor right below where Sarah was doing her laboratory research at Vanderbilt University, they were establishing this Global Institutes of Health. And the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, was offering a fellowship for a scientific researcher to go and do research in a developing country. And we were like, cool. <laughs> We'd like to go to a developing country. She's a scientist. That's a great plan. And so, uh, so we ended up, she ended up applying for the fellowship and received it. was one of only a few people in the whole nation that received this fellowship. And so we applied to several different places in Africa because we knew that's where God was wanting us to go, but we didn't know where specifically. And we had to be accepted by a researcher uh, in the other country. And I think it was about five places that we applied to, and they all said no. <laughs> Again, we're like, what's going on? But then there was one researcher uh, in the University of Cape Town in South Africa that was the only one left, and, and we applied with him, and he's like, yeah, come on. They, he happened to be a part of the, the reciprocal end of that fellowship where they take someone from a developing country and bring them to the United States to do research, and so he happened to receive that a few years before we came, and so he's like, yes, come, and so we ended up moving to South Africa in 2008, and Sarah worked at the University of Cape Town doing cancer genetic research, and I started uh, my own nonprofit missions organization, and we did local outreaches with uh, ministry and churches and international trips and hosted teams from the states, and we had two wonderful, wonderful, fruitful times of ministry in South Africa, and it was about four or five months into us being there that we finally, you know, we just, we settled down, and we, we, we knew from the Lord that this was it. That if after all that had taken place, all that had happened, we had never been there before, didn't know anything about it, but we knew that that was home. And, and so we were just so thankful that God was, was calling us there and he had brought us there to finally do missions work. Well, 
Two years later, her fellowship ended, and we were trying to find a way to, to extend it, but it just didn't, didn't work out. And, and so we ended up coming to come back to the States in 2011, and I was on staff at a church uh, in, in the Cincinnati area for these few years, and we finally got this, this burden to go back and start to do this again. Uh, I mean, the only way I can describe it is what we refer to as a holy discontent. We knew we were, getting, we were getting uncomfortable where we were. We, we loved where we were, but we knew there was just something else, that this, this wasn't it. And so we just started thinking and praying again, and uh, we ended up talking with the Assemblies of God about where uh, some options would be. And they said, hey, have you ever heard of urban tribes? And we were like, no. Well, it had just started a few months before we had contacted them, and we talked with the leader, and he shared his vision with us about what was going to be taking place and how they were wanting to start in South Africa. And we are like, yes, that's it, because that's where we want to be. And so we know this Durban place, this church that we are starting, this is exactly where God wants us to be. And the plan is right now, we'll go there in Durban to get training for our first term, which is three years. And then the start of our second term, we are then going to be planted out of that church. And we're going back to Cape Town, uh, where we lived before, uh, to start a church in that city. And so God is a great way of, of taking us and moving us where he wants us to be. To take us from Cincinnati, and with Sarah's instance, via Peru and Alaska. And then me, you know, then we go to Nashville, and then South Africa, and now now we're back to Ohio and then back to South Africa. It's, it's just, it's, God is amazing in how he can work things out. So don't ever doubt, even though it's very easy to, how things are going to work out. What's going to take place? What are things going to look like? How are you going to be providing for this? You know, what's, what's going to go on in your life? God, God works everything out exactly. So when like, for instance, when Sarah received the fellowship, for us to be able to go to South Africa, her postdoctoral research that she was doing ended on a particular day. Well, the fellowship just happened to start the very next day. So we never went without any, any money. But when we, fell, when, we, when we moved over there, we were getting ready to, two weeks before we had secured our housing and gotten things all prepped, two weeks before we moved to South Africa, our, house, our housing fell through. The guy that was renting us the apartment decided he didn't want to rent it anymore. And we were like, we're getting ready to move in two weeks, and we don't have a place to live. <laughs> and we didn't know anybody there either because we'd never, we'd never been. So we happened to find a friend of a friend who happened to live there. And uh, I think he was from Nigeria, but he married an American, and they ended up in South Africa. And so we, we contacted them and said, hey, could you please just pick us up at the airport? Because we, you know, we don't have anybody to pick us up at the airport anymore. And so he ended up meeting us. You know, he had the sign with our names on it. And so we were looking around, trying to find out who he was. And so we found him. And, and he put us up, uh, or at least he took us to a, a bed and breakfast that was there in the area. And we were only able to stay there for a few days because it was too expensive. But we were just praying for God to provide something. And then we got a call from the University of Cape Town that some staff housing that we had tried to, to, to get earlier before we moved over, it wasn't anything available. They just happened to have somebody move out. 
within those few days that we were there and was wanting to know if, if, we, needed, if we wanted the staff house. We were like, yes. And so we, we got out of the bed and breakfast and moved into that staff housing, but it was only for one month. So we had one month that we could, we could stay there. So we're like, all right, God, what's going to happen? And, and during that one month, we were able to find an Assembly of God church in the area there. And uh, the very first Sunday we went, we loved the church. It was, a, it was a great church. And afterwards, they have a time, you know, you meet with the pastor and have tea and coffee because everything is still very, very European and British where they love their tea and they love their coffee. And, and so we were just talking with him and his wife and, and we were just telling him our story. And, and we were like, yeah, we, we're needing a place to live. We've got to move out in like a week and a half. And um, so we're just praying that God will provide. And he's like, well, you know, the funny thing is, is that I actually happen to have a little uh, separate um, cottage, I guess you could call it. They call it a granny flat, or maybe we'd call it a mother-in-law suite here. But, um, you know, something that's on their property, but separate, that his father used to live in. But his father had died just a couple months before we had arrived. And um, they were needing to, to rent out that, that, that cottage. And they were like, so would you guys like to, to rent that? And we we're like, yes, you know. And so, um, so about a week later, we were able to move in, and, and they became our second family. And I volunteered on staff at their church for an entire year that we were the first year that we were there. And uh, they, they took care of us, and they were our, our mom and dad when we didn't have our parents there. And, and, and God, God is faithful, and he can, he'll, he'll prove himself over and over and over again. One, if you let him, but two, if you look to see what's going on around you, you'll see the things that God is doing for you. And so, so I just want to encourage you, don't give up on God. <laughs> Don't give up on what he wants you to do. Don't give up just because things are they're getting difficult or they're a little rough. I mean, it's, it's hard to trust God. We're in one of those seasons right now where it, it's hard, you know. We, we, we need to be in South Africa at a certain time, but, you know, things aren't working out to the way our plan works. You know, we were hoping to have all of our budget raised by next week, and we still have about 30% of it left. And we're like, God, what's going on? We got to get there. But we're in the middle of trusting him because he's in control and his timing is perfect. And so we just, you know, we praise the Lord in all seasons, good and bad, right? It doesn't matter. You don't have the option if you're a follower of Christ when you get to choose to praise the Lord uh, because it's supposed to be all the time because God's good all the time, right? And so we praise him because of that. And, and, and in the, our heart and our passion is just to see this world reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that that's your passion and that's your heart as well too. Because whether you realize it or not, we are living in the last days, right? We are living in the last days before Jesus Christ returns. And, and I believe he's coming very, very soon. I'm selfishly praying that I get to see it. <laughs> Do you want to see it? Wouldn't that be cool to see Jesus coming out of the clouds, to hear the sights or hear the sounds, to see the sights of what actually all of creation has been waiting for, to actually be the ones to see that. It can happen. It can happen. And and if he doesn't come in my lifetime, you know what? That's okay. I'm still going to have fun praying about it. And I'm looking forward to it, but I honestly believe it's either going to come, if not in our lifetime, in our kids' generation, or maybe even in their kids. It's coming soon. It's not going to be much longer. And our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to make the name of Christ known. 
We are here this year for a specific reason. Have you ever thought about that? Why you were here at this point of history to be alive in the year 2017? Why didn't God create you to be alive 2,000 years ago or 5,000 years ago? Why did he wait until now so close to his return? I believe... And this is our vision for our family and our heart. And I believe it's the vision for all of us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ is that we are here on this earth at this point in history to help usher in the last great global revival before Jesus returns. I believe it. Yes, I believe it. That's why we're here is to help usher in the last great revival so that Christ can come back. To make his name known among all the nations. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what their background is. We have the obligation to follow the Lord, to love him, to love our neighbors. And when you do that, then your overflow will be to make the name of Christ known. We have such a large job to do, church. We're not close to even being done. Because 40% of the world's population still doesn't even know who Jesus is. Do you realize that? 40% of the world's population doesn't know who Jesus is, doesn't have access to find out who he is, doesn't have a Christian around them to even ask if they happen to find out who Jesus is. There's 7.6 billion people in the world right now. 40% of that is just about 3 billion people in the world that do not know who Jesus is. And when I hear that, this is the first thing that comes to my mind. That's not right. And that's not fair. In a world where we have never had so many Christians in the history of the world Yet today, we still have almost half of the world's population that doesn't know who Jesus is. In a society that is so saturated with Christianity here in our country, where we have multiples of Bibles and and we have a lot of different books and things that we, we constantly put in our lives, and those things are great, but those things aren't for us. They're for us to be given to others. It's not meant to stay in us. It's meant to be shared. Good news is to be shared. That's what news is. News is something that you tell someone. If you don't share the good news, then you've just got a good secret. Jesus didn't die on a cross for a good secret. He died for what he did to be told to other people. And so when you realize why you're put here on this earth to help usher in the last great global revival, and knowing that God is faithful and that he'll provide for you every step of the way and, and everything that you need, then that makes your purpose on this earth a lot easier to fulfill. Does it make it difficult to pray to God and say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And then you do it. It's like the, kind of a joke, but I think people are half serious when they say it. It's like the two things you don't pray for as a Christian. One is patience, (laughs) right? Because you pray for patience, God's going to give you something where you need to be patient, and none of us like being patient. But the second thing is that we don't really pray for is 
God, send me wherever you want me to go, because then he might send you to Africa or some other place that's like really far away. And, you know, you can't, you can't have that attitude <laughs> and call yourself a believer. Because if Jesus is Lord of your life and he asks you to do something and you tell him no, he's no longer Lord of your life because you've just put yourself above him and said you can make better decisions than the Lord. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be. So are you fulfilling the calling and the purpose that God has put on your life? Are you fulfilling what God wants you to do? Has he given you a vision? Maybe he's asked you to do something years and years and years ago, and, and you just haven't done it yet. Well, guess what? Now's a good time to do it. I heard a great message by uh, John Bevere. Some of you may know who he is. He's a great Christian author, and I heard him preach uh, earlier in the summer, and he did a great message on our God holding us accountable. When we get to heaven, you know, in, in the New Testament, Paul talks about how each of us are going to be held accountable for our actions and things that we do here on earth. Not, not, held a, not like judgment as far as uh, salvation is concerned, because that's already done and forgiven and under the blood. But we are going to be held accountable for what we have been doing here on earth as Christians. But the point that he was making is that God is not going to hold us accountable for what we have done, but he's going to hold us accountable to what he called us to do. And sometimes those two things don't line up. Now, you may be doing great Christian things, and you may be doing godly things and helping here at the church and, and, and doing some wonderful things for the Lord, and you're finding success in that. But if God has called you to do something else, and you're doing this, then guess what? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, even though it's good. And God's going to, when you get to heaven, he's going to say, well, I called you to be an accountant, why are you a pastor? Or I called you to be a missionary. Why are you working in this school as a teacher? We need to make sure that we realize and understand the purpose of why we were put on this earth. And are you doing what God wants you to be doing, what he's called you to do, what he's created you to do. And if you don't know what that is, then you well, what? that's okay. You need to figure that out, though. That's where you get in that prayer closet. And, and you, you say, pray, God, I need you to show me what I am supposed to be doing. We had that when we were going to Africa. We're like, okay, God, is this Africa thing really real? Because we don't want to do it if you don't want us to. And so we were praying for God to show us the sign. And one day we were walking into Sam's Club. It was like we prayed, and I think it was like the next day or two later, we walked into Sam's Club. You know how they have, if you've been in there, they have a big wall of TVs when you first walk in, you know, and they have, you know, they want you to sell all those electronics. And so we walked in the door right after praying God to give us that sign. And every single one of those TVs was an African safari. <laughs> I believe God can speak that way. Sure he can, but ask God to show you. If you're genuine and you want to know, he will make sure you know. But you need to know, and once you know, you need to do what God has called you to do. Because I think it's James or 
Peter. I'm not, I didn't look it up beforehand, but it's in the New Testament. <laughs> but as the Bible says that if you don't do what you know you should be doing, it's still sin. God is faithful. And whatever he's asking you to do, he can be trusted. And he wants to use you. He wants you here. He put you here so that you can follow him and help usher in this last great global revival before he returns. What an exciting time to be alive in human history. We get to be a part of that. We just happen to be going to South Africa. You may stay here. Or maybe God is calling you to pull your family and uproot and go to a different culture that you're not familiar with. And if he does, then you, you have to say yes to that. Or if he says, you, says for you to stay here, you have to say yes to that. But you can trust God. You can trust him to take care of you. He'll take care of your family, job, money, where you're going to live. That's the 10% God can worry about. You focus on the 90% of what he has already said for you to do. And when you do that, you will find such a joy and a peace and a happiness and a contentment, even if things aren't going well, but you know that without a shadow of a doubt, you are exactly in the middle of God's will, where he wants you to be and why you were put here. And that's the best place you can be in your whole life. I know because I'm in it. I'm in it. And I'm telling you, it feels good. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though I'm tired, I'm still happy and joyful because I know I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do and what he wants our family to do. But we can't get this revival going around this world if we all don't work together. I'm happy to be the feet in the body, the stinky feet in the body of Jesus Christ. And I'm happy to be the one that boots on the ground in another country. But feet do not move without the full power of the body moving the foot. We all have to work together to do and to accomplish what God wants done on this earth and why he put us here. And so it's my prayer for you that you will discover that if you haven't already. If you're there, then I'm going to pray the encouragement that you would have an expanded territory in your ministry. But God wants to do great things in your life. He has a plan and a purpose for you that is probably a lot bigger than you think of for yourself. In fact, I know it is. But trust God. He's faithful. And so then when we're all together in heaven, we're going to sing and shout and celebrate about all the good things that we were able to do for his glory in these last days for the people that are here on this earth. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for tonight and just for your word that just confirms in our hearts why you have put us here on this earth. And Lord, tonight I just want to pray for anyone that's here, God, and they may be struggling with that. Or maybe you've brought into mind about things that they should be doing, but, uh, but they aren't. God, whatever it is, there is not any condemnation or guilt that is put on here, but there is conviction. And I pray that that conviction would move us into action. God, that we would move back into the lane of where you want us to be, God, if we've gotten off track. Lord, that you would help us to find joy in the work, that we would start with the things that make us truly happy when we do them. 
God, that we would start there and, and see where those giftings and abilities that you have put in us, where those take us for your ministry and for your glory. So God, give us wisdom, give us discernment, help us to be able to hear your voice loud and clear over all the other voices and things that are going on in this world. But that we would hear you and then we would immediately take action because we have committed and put our hearts in submission under you. And under your authority, we have chosen to follow you, not so that we can accomplish our own will and the things in our own life, but we have said, God, I will follow you no matter what the cost. So whether that requires us to be in patient situations or it requires us to move to Africa or India or Central and South America, wherever it is, God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you knowing that you are faithful, knowing that you are caring for us, knowing you will take care of all of our family and anything we've left behind because nothing is too great to hold on to where we would miss you, God. So help us to release those things and follow you. God, for those that are doing exactly why you have put them here, Lord, I pray for an extra blessing and an encouragement on their ministry, God, that you would give them the strength that they need to go even further for you, God. You would expand their territory and their influence and their connections and everybody that they come in contact with. Father, may, you, may they make your name known amongst them. God, that you would just reveal yourself in the miraculous, that you would confirm their testimony with signs and wonders. God, that through their lives, many, many souls, hundreds and thousands of souls would be saved. God, we treasure you. We need you more than anything else. Help us to trust you, to follow you, to be connected to you. And so that when we see you, we're not going to be embarrassed because we didn't do what you called us to do, but that we will see you knowing we have done everything that, we've, everything that we could for you, and you look down at us and smile, and then you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We praise you, Lord, and we honor you. And we bless you tonight, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. God bless you. And before you leave, back there just to the right of the little coffee bar, I have some prayer cards. If you could go grab one of those and just pray for our family, there's uh, contact information on the back if we can help serve you in any way. And then I have a little email sign up if you want to uh, join up for our email newsletter. Or if you don't do email, you can just put your home address and we'll send you a newsletter as well. But love you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pastor Ken. Amen. Don't you wish he would get a little more excited about his calling? How many appreciated the prayers tonight very much? Can you say amen? I knew there was a Latin American connection. I felt good about these people, and now I know that his, his wife was raised in Peru, partially, and so that's the Latin American connection that I like. Anybody that can hablo espanol, that's good. So they've had experience being missionaries. Who could put that together? God would take them from Peru to Alaska, to be raised in a remote fishing village and then someday to Miami University become a neuroscientist and marry a guy that has his degree in business and puts them together. To, I can't wait to see what these kids become <laughs> in about 10 or 15 years. You know, uh, people told us, uh, you are old to go to the mission field. 
We left when we were 45 and learned a language and learned to love people and still do. And how many? I'll be 41 in next I can't believe that. You don't look like 41, brother. And uh, if, we, if I can make it, you can make it. You're going to do absolutely great. I, if there's two questions real quick that you have for Brother Greg, two questions. Brother Sibby, what's your question? You're going to stay with Brother Sibby tonight, as a matter of fact. Brother Sibby, what's your question? He's asking why the assemblies of God? Why do we join the assemblies of God? Is that why are we going with South? Going to South Africa with the with the assemblies? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So I had my own ministry before. Yeah, no, I had my own ministry before. Why did we decide to go with the Assemblies of God? Um, a couple of reasons. One, with my own ministry, it was, um, from a practical standpoint, financially, it wasn't at the point where we needed it to be in order to sustain our family. And so we weren't able to gain any type of uh, salary or working, you know, areas of like that to where we could sustain our family. So we were really trying to figure out how else can we go. And, and it Kind of in our heart, we felt like we needed to con- go with the assemblies um, because they are, in my belief, the best, if not one of the best, mission-sending agencies in the world. And to be a part of something that has been established for already 100 years, that has over 4,000 missionaries worldwide, uh, the structure and the support you know, was already there of what I was trying to establish. So I was doing a lot of the same work that they're already doing, and I was working my tail off and wasn't getting the results that I was looking for. And so uh, we decided that this was the direction the Lord wanted us to go. And and for me, um, I had I had to give that up. Uh, my best friend in California actually is still, he was my ministry partner in that, so he is actually still carrying it on. But I had, I relinquished my position with it. But for me, it was, uh, it was hard at first, because I was really struggling with it. But then as I was praying, I really, I really sensed that it was more of a sacrifice to give to the Lord, not necessarily like Abraham sacrificing Isaac and giving up his only son, but it was the sacrifice of Isaac willingly laying himself on the altar. And I was like, okay, God, this is my sacrifice to you. I willingly give up my plans to you to take it and use it however you want. So that's, that's how I got there. One word, team, team, team. I hope when you saw the video, you want to go to Africa. Can, did you catch that? You're seeing the animals in the wild with the city behind it, and that's the way it really is it's like over there. One more question, quick question. And th- this man is going to plant churches all over the continent. So you set up model churches. He'll start in Durban, and then God has given them a brighter, a, br- a bigger, larger vision. One more question tonight for our missionary that you want to ask a quick question. Eric. Oh, I can do that. What are the challenges we're facing as we... Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's very similar to here. Um, South Africa has a very divided past because of the apartheid, so the legal racial segregation that took place there. Um, so specifically, some of the challenges are even working together with the churches because they are all still uh, separated by race because they had to be set up in the apartheid by race because you weren't allowed to have any racial mixing. And so uh, within the Assemblies of God specifically, you have uh, a branch for the black South Africans. You have an Assemblies of God for the white South Africans. Uh, there's an Assemblies of God for a mixed race that they, um, they the, what they call is the coloreds. And then you have a small Canadian and then you have the branch that works with us in the Assemblies. And so a big challenge is bringing all those people together to do ministry together. And, and that's very much our heart is to do that, is to have all those people coming together to worship like a, a church like heaven is kind of what we're referring to it as, where everyone comes together no matter of their background. Uh, so I see that as being one of the largest challenges, especially um, as a group of Americans coming over. Um, there's eight missionary units on our team, 40 all of us when you count the kids. So we don't want it to be an American church. We want it to be a very cultural uh, church there. So we're the scaffolding that comes up around the church to establish it to build it up and when it's ready and to be sustained we fall away and then move somewhere else and so uh, but I think that's the largest challenge right now uh, in getting established uh, so soon after the end of the apartheid those are two great questions and I, I wish we could go on but I promised you and the kids teachers I would let you go and see what the kids are doing tonight we have a ton of children back there tonight and I want you to encourage the teachers and thank the teachers for ministering to your children and the others that brought how many would like to give to brother Greg's ministry I don't think it would be right to present him without giving you a chance to give and I've already given him a check but we need the money in the missions fund to cover the check so I'm going to give you a chance to participate and here's the deal. If you want to participate, you get the fruit and the blessing of that. So I'm going to need a couple ushers here, but you're going to get the blessing of being able to participate and the people that he wins to the Lord and the system that he puts together to reach for uh, people for Christ. And can you imagine being married to a neuroscientist? I say it again. If I, if I would have only met Sarah first, I would have invited her to come. But I ended up with Greg tonight, so maybe the next time we'll get the whole family. I would take my family, and people would say, well, we would have rather heard Sherry than you. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. Everybody wants to do that. And so you can hear Sherry on Saturday. And then people would say about my son, Philip. One pastor even said, I let my son, Philip, take five minutes in the service when he was 14. And the pastor said, my gosh, if I would have known he was so good, we wouldn't have invited you. We would just So get ready when your children children go to South Africa and come back, come back, they'll be ready to speak. If you would like to give in the offering to South Africa, we're going to make sure that this is covered, okay? So let's pray tonight for the offering. How many are glad you got to hear Brother Greg tonight? Wasn't it a thrilling testimony? And we need to hear what's going on in someone else's life and how God speaks. The fact that we could hear, be here and hear the prayer he prayed for us, I'm stirred again. Aren't you stirred in your heart that God wants us not to brag? about what we've done, but he wants us to do the things he's called us to do. Heavenly Father, we're getting ready for an offering again. What a joy to give to you, Lord. It's our opportunity to invest. We pray that you will multiply these dollars, that across the ocean, Father, it will translate into people being loved, people being cared for, people coming to be part of a family. We know that Durban is an international city. People from every culture, every tribe, every kindred. There's so many different people there from rural areas, from business areas, on business in the city, even diplomatic people, government 
government people, Father. I pray that you will call the rich and the poor. I pray, Father, that you will call children. I pray that you'll speak to the lives like you spoke to Greg and, and Sarah, that their careers would change and they would focus on what you've asked them to do. Father, with this offering, help us to be a part of this. And we give you the thanks and the praise. And everyone said, can you say amen? Amen. amen.